Well, if anyone's interested, I don't know when exactly it's going to be. Sometime coming fall, CY 2022, there is going to be a, a, a lovely little house in Crestview available to rent. Uh, that is our tenants moved out because they moved, got a new job, moved to a new state. And I thought, I thought what we should do, uh, Brandon, you know, we're going to do, this is going to be another episode we call uh, Spreadsheets in Your Mind, where we don't have an actual spreadsheet we're going to be working with, but we're going to construct it in our brain holes. Uh, and that is, okay, so the question is, you have a, a rental house, right? Let's say, you know, you're the type of person who's listening to this podcast, you're you're, you're, you're doing okay in life. Things are fine. You know, you got a good job. You got your, your 401k or your, uh, your pension funds or whatever it is you got going on. Now you, you live, you live somewhere else, you know, you have another residency and you've got a rent house that's come up. And then every time, every time that the, uh, you know, the rent house is empty, every time there's a vent, you basically reevaluate, should we sell the house or keep the house? Right. And I want to just run through a couple of scenarios uh, that, that are there. There's, there's three scenarios, at least, that I have in my mind. You, I'll, I'll pause after each. You can, you can jump in, add some commentary. So one, I'm going to go from, let's say, worst reasoning to potentially best reasoning. I, I don't know. First of all, you know how it is, Brandon. You always give three options. One of them is definitely always yeah. bad. Always, and then and, mm-hmm. and then one of the remainder is it looks like it might be good, but after you do a few slides, you realize it's bad. Who knows? Who knew you ended up with that thing you talked about over lunch when you kicked this project off two months ago in the first place? Mm-hmm. Big mystery. Uh, but like, so the second option, I think this is what I'm going to call the financial advisor option. Now, a financial advisor, they're great at the spreadsheets, and I think the analysis they put in. The first question they're going to ask is, when do you want to retire? Always the first question, right? And uh, which is fine, right? Uh, and the next question they're going to ask is like, uh, what is your, therefore, what's your, your, your uh, risk uh, profile? You know, how risky do you want to be? Blah, blah, blah. So let's go, let's go through that crap. And what the financial advisor is going to say, always with real estate, I found, is that you should sell it, right? Now, they want to extract out the cash. And they want to put it in what they see as a lower risk, lower cost, lower hassle. They don't really say hassle, but that's part of risk and like cost is that if you just stick it in an index fund or whatever, it's more or less, they would never say a word like guaranteed, but they would see like, they would say, it seems like uh, it's basically going to go up five, eight, 10% compounded. And so over the course of 10, 15, 20 years, that's going to make a ton of money. Right. And there's zero risk. I mean, there's less risk than a real estate market that might crash. Your property taxes might go up while you're renting it. You've got to buy a new air conditioning unit. Like, you know, you got to replace a floor. So, like, there's all these, uh, what would you call it? Uh, uh, not unaccounted for. What do they call this? Ad hoc, unplanned for expenses that may come. Right. Up, right. Plus, you have to deal with it. Right. Yeah. Like just the maintenance, to... upkeep kind of expenses. Right, and then, right. of course, uh, someone's pointing out here in the live stream chat is like, they're always going to tell you, and there's some tax advantages. If you yes. sell the house today, um, you qualify for this tax advantage and they're like numerous versions of it. Right. Right. So now, ahead. now, now what they don't consider is that, uh, like, like you, you know, if you, if you do, I mean, I mean, it's its own kind of gamble, just like investing, right? Like if you keep the house and you rent it out and nothing much happens, chances are very high 
that you're going to make a fair amount of money, right? Like it, it's going to be like a, an almost, I would almost call it like a, a and not, it's not completely illiquid, but it's sort of like ice. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a frozen solid liquid. Like you can't really get rid of it quickly. I mean, right. you could, but that would be terrible. Like you could call up one of those people with the signs that like we pay cash for houses and there's a caveman on it. Right. Or so there's a transaction cost. It's harder to sell, right? Not, not yeah, yeah, yeah. Like liquid. And so, and so it's sell. kind of a liquid, but over the course of several decades, if that's how long you're going to hold on to it, then it's kind of good. And then in fact, this is, this is the thing that I, did I, I didn't even go over the first case, did I? I? I should go back to that. That's the worst one. But this gets into, I think the second case, which is, well, all of that is true, but what's also true is that I should diversify my uh, my net worth portfolio, right? right? So I got all this index stuff. I got some cash so I can survive for six to 12 months if, you mm-hmm. know, things go terrible, blah, blah, blah. I got the 526W9C for the kids or whatever. <laughs> right. I got all, I'm maxing out my 401ks with the match. But maybe also what I need to do is like, what if money no longer matters? Right. And instead, diversification, I, right? You're making right. the whole diversification argument. Yeah. Right. And and so instead, I I actually have let's let's assume money no longer matters. However, the legal system still exists. Uh-huh. And so therefore this dirt that I own with a house, I own that and 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 you know, it can be defended, right? right. And also there's a house on it. So like, you know, it has I utility. will all, you can live I, in it. Yeah. Right, right. I will always I will always have a thing. And so that is like, maybe that's like a worst case scenario. Now you could say like, you know, if it turns out money doesn't mean anything, the legal system's probably going to fall too. And so just like, whatever, you know. I'm, right. I'll and you should that. also make the liquidity argument uh, in favor of the house. And, you know, it's like, yeah, it's hard to sell. But the good thing is that can be bad, but it can also be good because that way you won't react and be like, oh, the market's down. I'm going to liquidate yeah, everything. Yeah, you just, yeah. you don't really, you can't really sell a house day to day. You just kind of forget about it. And you're like, oh. That's right. So right, that right. way it makes it easy to survive like bad downturns. But, but, then, but then you, you always have the thing, right? So that's the thing. Yeah. It's just, it's just a, different, a different type of asset that I don't think, and rightly so, right? Like if you're starting from zero, from nothing, like I think a financial advisor is going to be like, yes, you should deal in like cash and like more liquid things. Well, not, not cash, but like, you know, things that are investments that you pay for instead of like owning three-dimensional objects like that's right that's not cool right like they probably would also tell you you should not buy van gogh right they'd probably be like ah, <laughs> i don't know that doesn't really why don't you buy an etf that's right is for more ETF, less van gogh uh-huh. yeah yeah like like if you, if you really want to be into art you can buy one of those things and so you know i think i think that that's the and then the you know the of course there's like the variable that's the word i was looking for variable you got your variable expenses like all of that stuff uh, but so I think those, uh, so I think that's kind of like the, 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 the real estate angle and the financial analyst angle. Okay. Right? And then I think, I think there's another angle, which is the bad one, which is just the sentimental angle, which I'm always weary of falling into. It's just like, oh, I don't, I don't want to just, you know. Yeah. I love the house. It was where our kids lived, whatever. Yeah. We're, yeah. And, right and like on. one day oh, we're going to definitely move. We need to hold on to it. And like, so that, that, you know, whatever. So that, that's not really like the best way of, of analyzing it now. If you throw in the other factor of like, if you're in a crazy real estate market like Austin, right, then I think this is where the financial analyst kind of falls down is they don't really account for like, oh, right. But I mean, you know, I need to make you have to make a spreadsheet at some point in your mind, an actual spreadsheet that basically calculates all this stuff out, right? Like I was trying to figure out like, so let's just say in theory, we have to spend, 
uh, let, let me let me do it in just like easy dollars. Let's say you you own a house that's worth a hundred dollars, right? And mm-hmm. then in order to uh, at some point you have to spend uh, ten dollars to fix it up, right? And you're like, ah, I gotta fix, I gotta spend the ten dollars. But then if you hold on to the house for ten more years, and then the house is worth two hundred dollars, then it's fine, maybe. But then you got to put in your spreadsheet all the you know twenty five cents for taxes every year. And then, you know, you got to replace the air conditioning. So it's some, there's, there's some spreadsheet you can make. And then you can kind of, I don't, I would never get to the point where I'm doing like NPV and all that kind right, of crap. Right, you got net present value, then you get, yeah, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. mm-hmm. and throw some inflation in. And like I, the spreadsheet in my mind, right, it's saying that like, if you hold on to this thing for like 10 years, easy, no problem, right? Like, especially like as in, I think in, well, not I think in my case, like we don't have a mortgage. Right. So there's no like it's all paid off. So at that point, it's just sort of like I'm collecting dividends, basically. It's a high right. dividend stock that I'm just uh, getting out. Now, the company may falter like something crazy might happen. I might right. have to go to a shareholder meeting like, you know, and, and figure that out. But pretty much. I'm but then, you know, what dividends. you just said there, there's like there's a whole nother tab in our spreadsheet. Right. Because you just kind of quickly slipped into private equity world, whereas the financial analyst would be like, whoa, wait a minute. You got no mortgage on this. We got to we got to be we got to put the we got to put a mortgage on this, take it out. And then they'd come back and be like, then you can depreciate that and we can put the money oh. in this other higher. So that's like a whole private like there's like a whole nother conversation uh, you have there. Like, yeah, you want to get a financial analyst going. Tell now them this, to pay off the mortgage. I, Because there's nothing like there's like that's like red meat to like any type of financial advisor. If you somehow say be like, I have an asset that is easily to get debt on and I have no debt on it. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold your horses there, (laughs) sir. We need to lever you up. And you're like, but I don't know. I don't I don't I don't want They're like, let me show you the math. Let me you know, and you're like, but I just I don't like this. This is a whole angle. I think you're right. This is a whole other sheet. This is model two. Yeah, this model two. I don't think I've considered. Yeah, yeah, and that is. Now in model two, okay, so it's not a primary residency, which I, I in Texas just means that your property taxes are lower, can right, only yeah. go up ten percent a year, but they can go up, right? Yep. Whereas, whereas since it's not a primary residency, we pay like all of the property taxes uh, first year in the increase. So, but I think I like what you're saying here, Brandon, because not only can you, uh, as you say, get leverage, that is, get a loan. You could you could get an equity loan on your house, so which then you have to pay. But this might have exciting tax implications, right? right? Like if I take on a debt, which is actually kind of a credit to me mm-hmm. at some point uh, in some weird way. Welcome like, to depreciation, my good friend. You got like a whole, yes. and then your accountant gets excited. Now suddenly the accountant and the financial analyst is excited. And now, yeah. now hold on. It's like, I, oh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to show, uh, I'm going to throw sheet three on here, which is <laughs> also includes living in the Netherlands. Oh, how geez. does how does oh that affect your taxes? Right. Like <laughs> if I, you know, since there's there's a uh, uh, there's a net worth tax here, not what do you call uh, uh, a wealth tax, like right. tax you, above a certain level, you get taxed on your total net worth. Like if I bring on if I leverage, wow. does that yeah. debt become a debt that removes that lowers? Yeah, my, that's a my whole. Net yeah, worth? That, yeah, we need to re- we need our accountant professionals to help us. But then that. but then. OK, so I think. It might zero out because if I got that loan in cash and then I put that in an index fund, that becomes an asset that I have, right? But then I also have the debt. So maybe it just cancels out and I make like 2%. 
Like, is that, is that what I don't know, but this is the whole, like, you'd have to get into like the details of like, what's an asset, what's the liability and how are they accounted for in the Netherlands, which is going to take like a whole nother accounting staff. I think that's going to take the uh, Netherlands version, talking to the American version of the accountants, because they're probably as smart, rich people. I bet you have figured this out to be like, Oh, if you take the money out here, it's a liability. But if you take it out over here, it's an asset. So what what I hear you saying is there's another row in the spreadsheet that is uh, uh, investment staff fees. Yes. So maybe absolutely. maybe what I do is uh, I use this first asset. I get that the first uh, loan that I get, I just totally set up uh, a small private equity firm. Right. Like all that money is just to employ some staff. Yeah. And and the pitch that I give to the staff is I come in and I'm like, all right, check this out. Uh, I own this thing. Your job is to have a job in a year. That's all you got to do. <laughs> Like, here's the money. <laughs> and if you want to keep having this job, figure it out. Yeah. Otherwise, you're out uh-huh. of a job. Right. Yeah. All right. Huh. Okay. All right. Well, well, I think all, all I can say about this entire subject is, is the baby is not happy about hearing about it. Software Defined Talk is brought to you by Teleport. Every hack follows the same problem. First, hackers exploit a human error, like a leak key or a secret left in code. They gain a foothold and then pivot, moving from one compromised system to the next. Sound familiar? Teleport breaks this cycle. Open source Teleport gives every engineer, every piece of hardware, every application an identity. Replacing secrets like password and keys with auto-expiring identity-based certificates, the Teleport platform reduces the opportunity for human error, increasing productivity, and revolutionizing security and compliance. Learn why the most valuable visionary businesses in the world choose Teleport at goteleport.com. And of course, we thank Teleport for sponsoring our show. Well, there was an analysis out and, uh, you know, there's some IDC forecasts, some market share forecasts for public cloud. And I know, you know, we make the same joke every time we cover this, but it looks like the top three public cloud providers uh, get most all the money. They, they, <laughs> they are not only, they're the top three by a long shot. I, I forget the percentage, but I feel it was like 60, 70, maybe even more percent of all, all the money in public cloud. They get it. And they have, they have like, I feel like at least twenty percent year over year growth. They're just doing gangbusters uh, on 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 uh, on that business. And you know, also related, uh, I think there was this some. Uh, I forget if it was in the quarterly call or something, but it looks like FedEx. You know, the people who deliver packages. They're targeting moving all of their stuff uh, out of date, closing closing all their data centers. They're going to move it not only to public cloud, but also it looked like some managed service stuff just out of their own data centers by 2024, which, you know, I don't know if you're like me, Brandon and listeners, but like that seems a far time into the future. But then I did the math and that's basically a year and a half uh, <laughs> from now. So right. now now there was a quote that uh, I, I forget what the exact quote was, but that they've been working on this for like, a, a, a you know, for it, it was worded very oddly. I had to read it twice. We've been working on this in the current decade, which I guess means they've been working on it for a couple of years now or something like that. So they said, we've been working across this decade to simplify and stream. That's interesting. So like, I guess this decade means the previous 10 years. That is a very strangely worded. Well, I I thought this decade meant in the current decade, which would be the 2020s, right? So that means Hmm. that in 2020, they had their offsite maybe, you know, What's the what's the fancy in Scottsdale? I don't know where they go. They went to some place. Uh-huh. Maybe maybe they went somewhere else. You know, they had their executive meetings, and uh, you know they decided we're gonna in by the end by uh, uh, 
2024, we need to move everything, close all our data centers, right? So they started kicking that off then. Maybe I'm guessing if it's in this decade and uh, then they're going to be done in uh, in 2024, which this is a good little nugget, though. The fact that they um, they have, quote unquote, estimated uh, 400 million dollars of annual uh, spend. So that's like I think for all of us that work in cloud, that, this is like a million PowerPoint uh, presentations are being updated with this quote. Right. Going completely cloud native will save it 400 million a year, which. Obviously, it's a very self-serving stat for anyone that's promoting uh, cloud adoption. But it seems that does seem like uh, like we would want to know more. We would like to see the spreadsheet. I'd like to see everyone show the work on that. Um, Yeah, that seem it seems very high. But go on. Yeah, yeah, and and so I think uh, yeah, I I I think you know I assume that the end of twenty twenty four, as always, is December thirty first at eleven fifty nine p.m of 2024 right so you got that whole year to go through and uh i don't know i mean it's it seems ambitious but like i guess it's mm-hmm. probably possible but don't you think, I, I, mean, I think we talk a lot about this like this is to me like this is kind of the way to galvanize a company and to do it like if you're gonna say hey we want yeah, like, yeah. we believe it's important to move to the cloud is that like you know I don't know how they came up with the 400 million but i just assume that they've done some math and they figured that out in like maybe it's not exactly right, but they feel like there are significant cost savings ahead. And two, it's like if you're gonna do it, if you're going to like, hey, we want to do it, having the a leader at the top. In this case, it's uh, someone speaking at, I guess it's CIO Rob Carter, who actually spoke at an investor day with Wall Street and saying like, this is an important priority for the company. Here's why we're doing it, and here's where we're going to complete it. It's like that does provide an incredible amount of clarity for a corporation, right? And like. We're doing it versus lots of like, well, we're not sure. Like, yeah, maybe the CIO wants to do this or we we have a lot of different vendors in here talking about it, but we still want to keep our private data centers and this application isn't going to move. Like that's where I think people really start to get bogged down. So I like this idea of like, hey, it's kind of reminiscent of like either the Netflix or AWS or, you know, Capital One where it's like, no, no, this is a pillar of our strategy and we're going to get it done. And so like, I think I don't really, they get it done exactly by 2024 and will it, exactly say 400 million not totally sure about that will they get it done by 2026 and have some cost savings probably will happen right because they have yeah. this kind of leadership at the top i i think i think you're right it is it is uh this is this is always the and maybe this will they'll segue into our, our our second topic which is you know bad bosses chapter three and how to think about your summer <laughs> vacation uh but like i i there is some at some point when you're setting vision, and I like how OKRs bake this in, are very self-conscious of it in OKRs, you basically set a vision that is completely unrealistic because you know you have to, what would you describe? You know, when you're making estimates, they call it um, padding your estimates, right? Like when you know that, you know, you want to, um, you want to say something's going to take six weeks if you think it will take four weeks because, you know, you always want to like, it's weird to say it in this thing. You want to underpromise and overdeliver, or or if if you're lazy like me, you want to underpromise and underdeliver, right? <laughs> like just do it correctly there, right. uh, and deliver on what's promised. There you go. But so it seems like you know you set and and you know apart from FedEx or whatever, right? I don't know what's going on over there, but like it does seem like that is a good thing to throw out there is to like be like, oh yeah, we're totally serious that we're going to do it, and then as you're saying, you know probably maybe it would all move. And even if it doesn't all move enough will have moved to have made it a good idea. 
right? Like at least because I feel like like a, a um, moving your stuff to cloud, like your IT modernization, more or less, whatever effort you put in is probably going to be good. Now, if you put in an effort and you end up never shipping it, then I guess that's bad. But like, <laughs> as long as you're like doing something where you're trying to like move forward, you're probably going to be okay as opposed to like doing nothing. Right. And I think, I think the, the other consideration of like, like if I could uh, knowing a little bit about their business, right. So one, I mean, FedEx is global, right. Which is kind of a little easy to sort of forget, but like, I think the other part that's easy, hard to forget about that is hard or easy to forget is like their footprint globally of like it stuff is pretty significant, right. Cause they have to be like everywhere so I'm sure they have lots of edge computing or, or whatever going on. And they also like, I don't know how many companies they've acquired, but they acquired, I think they're the ones who acquired TNT, which is like a, the Europe FedEx. And so like, that was, that was quote unquote only like five or six years ago, maybe like, you know, <laughs> like five years ago. And so like chances are high, like if it's like other companies, right. That they haven't fully integrated that IT into their portfolio. Right. So part of your spreadsheet is like, well, if we, um, and this is the same for any gigantic company, right? Part of the spreadsheet has to be, if we do consolidation of all the acquired companies, we get some benefit there, right? But I don't know. I mean, that's all a bunch of footnotes to like, I think, I mean, you always have to be careful. What idiom? There's idioms like burning the boats, uh, sink or swim. There must be some nice one, right? Um, what what is what is What are idioms that they would use for uh, like immersion therapy? Like when you're using a language, when you're learning a language and they do like the full immersion language, they don't call that burning the boats or sink or swim. They're just like, yeah, you just pretend like you're doing it. You just push yourself. Right. Well, your what's head. the one like someone said, like throw the hat over the fence, over the wall. It's sort of like you're oh, committing uh, yourself to like, okay, well now, now we have to get over that wall. So that's sort of like a very benign way of saying it. There's no burn. There's no, uh, although I guess burn the boats is sort of, well, I guess that does kind of, I don't know. It, it, I guess it depends if you... <laughs> who you were if you're like i want the option to go back versus like well hey we've set the goal and i do like the fact that you know the other thing in this headline is uh it says uh, fedex signals quote zero mainframe zero data center so again back to being really really clear right back to being around it's like no we're getting everything off the mainframe because there is like you know you talk about this a lot tote it's like if you're not super clear like this there's going to be a every group is going to come to you come up with an exception they're like oh we can't do it like we're the mainframe group and we have this application that can't be done. Right. Or this, like we have right, this data right, center. Right. So, you know, like I'm sure, and I bet you there are like at the micro level of this project, I bet you there are lots of reasons that like getting off the mainframe is going to be more work than it necessarily should be. And maybe be more costly, but like the, if you will, the overall global strategy is sort of going to pay off to cover up like the places where it's like, yeah, actually it didn't make a ton of sense to move that app. But the fact that we got everything off of it is actually going to give us the cost savings. I think I think that's the other part of like kind of like selling this kind of thing is just to kind of acknowledge that like, yeah, like if we were to look app by app, some of them probably should stay where they are. But that's just going to be too complicated. It's kind of back to our conversation you were t- talking about, like, um, you know, financial analysts and stuff like that. Like, sure, every little transaction could be optimized. But really, if we think about the whole thing, we optimize by being consistent. So I like this zero mainframe, zero data center. Yeah. Like everyone can decide. You're either in or you're out on that vision, and it's very simple to repeat. Like, like I, w- I was thinking, let's see if, if this this uh, train of thought works out. Like, I was like, so it starts with this: is like, I mean, you know, it's hard to modern modernize that application, mainframe, whatever, and and it can't be done. But like, 
if it hurts today, it's probably going to hurt tomorrow and the next day as well. Right. Like you're not going to let like, you're still going to not like it. So I, w- I was, you know, we, ha- we had some guests over here and, and you try to uh, spruce things up, like go, go through some cleaning cycles. And we finally, uh, we had this, this, uh, this cover that covers up the wire that goes up to our TV hanged on the wall, ha- hanging on the wall. And we had one of those, uh, you know, those wire covers that makes it look a little better. Right. And of course it's from Ikea. So the, the uh, sticky stuff on the back <laughs> wasn't working. And so like that, it was like that for a month. And then one day, uh, Kim, my wife was like, you need, you should put some of that double-sided, uh, 3M stuff on there. And so that, so then another week passed and then I went and bought some and, uh, they've got a funny name for it in Dutch. I forget what it is, but like, uh, uh I went and got some and I, and I cut off like, like, you know, I don't know, a quarter inch strip, which is, I think that's, what is that? Two centimeters. I, I don't mm-hmm. really know. And uh, I untaped it and I put it up in the corner and, and, and now it's fixed. And it's sort of like, huh, maybe, maybe I should have just done that a while. And then, and then we had a, we have the, the phone that goes down to the door where you let people in and that I knocked into that at one point and kind of knocked it off the wall, but you can still kind of get it up there, but it falls down. So we took the sticky tape and we put it on there and now that's fixed. And it's sort of like, huh, maybe we should just like every day. Or maybe once a week, just go around and like do like a 20 minute fix. And I feel like modernization apps are like that too. They're like, ooh, we only have 20 minutes this week to spend on something. Is this really the highest priority thing you want to spend it on? And you want to be like, um, yeah, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. like next week, next week is, I'm pretty sure I know when next week is going to come. It's right here in the calendar. So let's just do this now. Right. Like it's, it'll be cool. Right. And well, you so, know, I think the mainframe seems to like have this occupies to me almost like a special spot for these kind of conversations. Right. And I think what you're getting at there is like, like to me, the, the idea is either zero mainframe and we're going to do the work to get off it or no, we're committing to the mainframe as a long-term platform because we think it provides a lot of value and there's a lot of reasons why. And we're going to commit to like training, hiring and, you know, keeping, we're like, we're not going to treat it like, oh, like we're surprised every time that there's an issue with the mainframe and there aren't new people necessarily learning about the mainframe in college. Like you're going to address that. You're going to be like, no, we know we need to do that. We're going to have some, uh, you know, if you will, internal training, we're going to be bringing people up. We're going to compensate them in a way to make sure that it's uh, in line with their careers. And it's like, like, you don't ever hear that, right? I don't feel like you hear people huh. say, it's like, like we're going to be committed to it because we think this is an important platform. It's always like, oh, you know, it's always like, it's like almost to your point, it's like the cord that you walk by every day that's sort of like sticking out of your TV. It's like every time you see it, oh, I'm surprised that's still not, you know, you know, it's like, no, no, like that's like, I'm not surprised anymore that it's fixed. Like I'm, I'm committed to that. I'm fine with it. Right. It provides like the way it works is the way I want it. And I'm not going to pretend every yeah. time there's um, like, you just don't hear that. And there, like I said, there's lots of reasons I think to stay on the mainframe, right. Where you're just like this application like ACH is one we like kind of make fun of all the time, but it's like, yeah, if I was running, if I was in charge of the ACH infrastructure, I'd be like, I have an entire training program to bring in new people, teach them how to code this up on the mainframe and teach them how to use it and provide them a, a solid career path. And I know those people are going to leave for other jobs, but I'm going to have a, a pipeline coming in because this is the way I want to do it. And this is the way the United States moves money and we're moving on. Right. It's like, that would be just a, a valid answer to me as it is like, we're going to like build it in uh, containers, containers and move it on Kubernetes. It's like, okay, you know, I mean, like pick, like do, just don't be surprised every time. Like, oh, the mainframe, like they just, it like, oh, well, no one saw this company. Everybody saw this coming. 
I, I like you. You have uh, this is like some some uh, contemporary like if if mainframe therapy, right? And that is like you do the uh, I forget the name for this. Where you ba- I I hate this like uh, um, rhetorical trick where you you I make fun of this all the time where you take a step back and recontextualize the context and, right. and stuff and just like I I've read books. I know what you're doing. Right. Like, don't 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 use your Jedi mind tricks on me. Uh, right. But anyways, to do that, like. I like the position you have, because it's like it's not a question of a spreadsheet. It's a question of what you want. And do you, are you committed to the mainframe lifestyle? Is that what you want? Right. And and I'm not saying that in a is this what you want sort of way. It's like that's a to- that's a choice. Right. It's kind of like, hey. You could commit to the eating red beef and potato chips lifestyle, totally fine, but just go all in, or you could commit to the the vegan lifestyle style. It's like it's not about like at some point, and this is this is the therapist part, right? At some point, the therapist is going to be like, you can't live your life by risk benefit analysis because that's not going to be sustainable. What you have to do is live your life by your intrinsic motivation, by what you want and what your identity is. So if you want to keep using a mainframe. You can't only justify it that it is necessary and that it's the most cost-effective thing and it's too difficult to move from it. You have to also justify it because that's who you are and what you want to do. And similarly, the same goes for um, whatever we call distributed now, right? It's just at some point you've got to be like, yeah, is that what you want, right? Like, because walk through that. And so I think that's sort of like uh, when it comes to modernization, that's the thing you can't put in a spreadsheet that I think uh, uh, you need to sort of contend with at some point. And I think, you know, what you see with with uh, uh, big proclamations like this is I think that has to be, hopefully, that's another part of the vision. The IT vision is like, yeah, you know, and th- this would be the great, the conversation that you have with your uh, your IBM and uh, your your other sales reps who are in the mainframe area and just be like, hey, everything you're saying sounds great. I totally don't disagree. It's, it's, it's not you, it's me. I just, we, (laughs) we just, we, we're not committed to the mainframe lifestyle. We're just moving on. Right. Right. That's, that's what we're going to do. We can pay some, some breakup fees, whatever it is. You know, we might have to do this. We might have to get it off of our books by outsourcing it to someone as a service. And so therefore we don't have it. We just benefit from it. But like, that's just not the lifestyle we want anymore. So, you know, I think, you know, an interesting uh, article that came out a few weeks ago, was talking about the IRS, so the United States Internal Revenue um, Service, which basically you know, people collect taxes. And that it came out that, you know, essentially they're using something like 30-year-old technology, right? Mm. And, you know, and this is the classic. That, that's that's much but, newer than the last time I read that. But Yeah, great. I don't even know. Maybe it's 50 <laughs> years, like whatever, like whatever it yeah. is. And so, you know, but basically it's a lot of like really old, I think, COBOL and, you know, mm-hmm. mainframe kind of stuff. And it's like, so you kind of come back to this one because I think it's like maybe the the biggest potential modernization project that like at least I know of. I'm sure there's maybe some something out there, but it's like it is sort of like if someone called you in and like what would you do here? And it's like like think about the tax code is so incredibly complicated, and like think about like all of the kind of logic that has been implemented in there to work. And it's like you know it is maybe to the point where it's like yeah the IRS should just be committed to like we're not changing this platform we are going to keep it the way it is and we're going to train people on what is essentially a, you know a proprietary uh, programming language at this point yeah. and a pro- and, and and just say to ourselves like yeah yeah i mean because we collect all the tax revenue in the united states like 
it's more than justifiable for us to just kind of have a really, really custom system. Right? Because I think the person that walks in there is like, oh, you should rewrite this on Node and run it, you know, and container. It's like, you know, I mean, we're talking like a, a lifespan of a project that's like, you know, going to be like a hundred plus years. And so, I don't know, kind of like to me, it's, it, it is kind of the ultimate question around like sometimes maybe that's okay, right? It's just to be committed to it. Or, you know, like we, at least I'll, I'm going to, I'll speak for all the United States citizens, like, or we as a, a group of citizens have to be like, you know, we actually think it would be a lot more beneficial if it was modernized. And like maybe the benefit to all of us would be, hey, everyone at the end of the year, you'll get a completed tax return that you can just sign and send back. Like, and you don't have to do anything, right? It's like, here's, so maybe like, what's that's worth to the entire American public, right? It's like, would people be in favor of that? Or would lobbyists come out and say, oh, that's wrong? Like, um, cause it is a funny system, right? Like you kind of have to compile in <laughs> all the income that, that you know about, but then the IRS also gets a list of the income and it's like, did you like miss a form? Like, you know, if you make a mistake, it's just like, and, but they have all the answers, right? You know, they sort of mm. like have the answers to the the problem. And so like, what, what would it be worth? And like, maybe that's where we should go. Um, but like, if you co- collectively voted in the United States, like, I, I think, I don't know, it sounds like it would just become like some type of partisan chaos, but that would be oh, kind yeah. of the benefit. Otherwise you just tell people it's like, well, we're just going to keep it the way it is then. And you well, know, I, I, I think, I think there's two things that, that are good metaphors for uh, application modernization at large global com- organizations. And that is, that is uh, one, they're probably, I mean, there, there must be other ones, but there are probably like less than a handful you know, less than five other organizations in the world that have a more difficult environment for multi-year budgeting and projects than the IRS. Like they, they <laughs> yeah, probably definitely. like, like I'm, I'm pretty sure, I'm not pretty sure, but I bet you could like schedule out a five-year budget and then just like, you'd be like, I don't know, we'll see what happens next year. This might just disappear. <laughs> right. And so like, yeah. there, there, it just, and it's gotta be crazy. Right. And then laws can change and you have to rewrite things. So it's gotta be a very, uh, difficult environment to do any long-term planning in. And then, and then two, uh, I think, I think it's a good example of, of, of what we were talking about before is if you were, this is kind of like, uh, like almost an Iglesian type of like recontextualization, which is like, well, I, I guess, and I guess it goes, actually, it's more of like, it's based on an old Franklin idiom, an old Benjamin Franklin idiom, which is like, uh, the voters get the government they deserve. Right. Which that's a cynical way of putting it. But the Iglesian rewriting is that like, well, you may not realize it, but this is the policy you want. Like, if you don't want this policy, you can decide not to have that policy. Right. Like you can just change it. And so, like, you know, if you were to sort of like present it, present what you're just saying to the American people. Right. You'd be like, because basically, technologically, I think a lot of what you're saying is um, we need to centralize things more. Right. Like we need to be able to like you can do some OAuth stuff to your bank and all of your financial institutions and the IRS will just go like suck down that information. And then, you know, we'll use like, I don't know, some machine learning in the cloud. And then within 24 hours, we'll say, like, here's the money you owe us. Right. Yep. And if, if you just hook up to all that stuff. And if you were to present that to the aggregate of the American people, I think they would very quickly express a core value. That is the lifestyle that they want, analogous to like, do you want the mainstream, mainframe lifestyle? They would say, the, the user would say, no, no, no. Technologically, that sounds awesome. But that violates uh, the number one thing that we want, which is we don't want a strong central government, 
right? Like, and I think that's sort of like a fundamental thing that the user wants there is they want a very weak central government. And so once your taxing authority can do like, I mean, in the, I, I don't know what they do in the Netherlands, but you know, there's one central ID, but like, once you get to the point where the IRS is basically like mint.com and they just present you a bill, I think that violates like a huge, you know, American ethos and therefore you just can't modernize. So the Americans want to live the COBOL lifestyle when it comes to their taxes. <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, the part I think is just really interesting there because I think this is always like interesting to me just in general about like how much time do you spend trying to explain things to everyone? Because it's like, because I think what you're saying there is exactly how it would be portrayed in like certainly popular media. But if if we just like dove in a little bit more and we just said, well, listen, the IRS actually has all of the information because they, and it's all sent to them by the employers and p- people because that's the way the laws work. So, so they have all of that. And the reason that they know that they, that you may be likely to be audited is they, they looked at like what you sent in, they look at your submitted homework and they compared it to like the answer key. And they're like, there's significant uh, var- variance here. It's like, you know, Cote said he made $10,000. I'm showing this thing from VMware that says he made a lot more money than that. Right. And so, and, you, and so you kind of go back to American people. It's like, well, they have all of this stuff. They're just checking. So it's like this idea that like, you know, you believe the taxing authority is weak is, is actually wrong. They're actually just double checking everything to you. Even though, even though you, it seems like you did all this work and they have no idea what's going on, they actually have all the answers. So uh, it's like- It gets even would, more, more, more Kafkaian or whatever. Yeah, would you like, so it's kind of back to like, the, you know, the American people. It's like, would you like to just see the answer key before you submit your, your response? Or would you prefer- to actually do all the hard work. And it's like, you're right. But I think, I think in the, as an American ideal, I definitely think it's, it's likely that people would prefer to, uh, to do the work themselves. So, you know, we'll see. Well, and, and again, I, and I think this, the IRS, I think, you know, hopefully one day there'll be a Harvard uh, business like case study of this, like, like what actually did happen? Like, when does it actually get modernized, modernized? Um, should it get modernized uh-huh. in the future? It'll, it'll just be interesting to see, yeah, if anything happens to it, or if our children are dealing with the same tax system uh, in the next thirty years, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I think, I think uh, uh, that that I, I think it'll still be the same one. The, uh, I think, I think that's a that's a hallmark of the American system is is that it it takes a long time to change anything. Amen. Uh, you know, it's it's. I mean, it's it's. Uh, you know, not to raise up any recent stuff, which is depressing and weird, but. As as a case from like a realm of of thought that I would rather not draw an analogy or a case from, like there there's there's current like all the stuff going on in the states now is a good case study in in modernization takes I don't know thirty forty years, like it takes a yeah. long time and you got to have a long game to like uh, modernize the American system. Uh, in this case, for worse, but sometimes for better. Um, so speaking of strategizing in the corporate world, it's uh, as, a, as of our recording time, it's July 7th, 2022. I guess the earliest people will hear this will be uh, July 8th. I think, is it, it come, does it come out at midnight uh, central time or 1230, 1 p.m.? 12.30 a.m. central. 12.30, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, good, good. Uh, you know, brief side note. I, I, I think I know what the answer is going to be, but do you find... Whenever you think about is midnight a.m. or p.m. and is noon a.m. or p.m., is it confusing to you or do you just? Yeah, it always feels like it should be the like it, it feels like it should be opposite of what it is, even though right, I'm, right. I'm not proposing that. I do, Yes, but I do. have. And, and now I think this is highly related. I, I feel like, uh, you know, one of my life projects is figuring out what's up with numbers and math in my mind. Right. Right. And, and things. And I feel like 
we had a discussion last week. Is Sunday the start of the week or not the start of the week, right? And how do you how do you think about it, right? Like what where does that fall? And I think similarly, noon. Now midnight, I feel like I'm solid that midnight is the new day, right? I'm cool with that. Maybe because <laughs> because like it's ingrained in us every year on an exact time and date that once it is midnight on New Year's, which actually well, once it's January first, so once it is twelve. See, I'm messing it up right now. Once it's 12 a.m. January 1st, yeah. I keep using the word midnight because midnight is a whole other thing. Once it is midnight on January 1st, which is actually an inaccurate phrase, but never mind. Mm -hmm. Once it's midnight, then you know that it's a new day, right? So you know that midnight is a new day if you are awake a minute before, right? Like, So you know that turnover happens. But I feel like, to me, the p.m. doesn't happen until 1 Right. So like the 12 o'clock hour is the strange, confusing hour. Like, I feel like that's still an a.m., but it's not an a.m. I mean, 1 p.m. is definitely not 1 a.m. But isn't this just an all a backdoor argument to be like we should be on 24 hour time? Because in that Europe, mostly Europe, it generates that like my son sort of like I'm I'm not into it. My son's sort of, you know, interested in time and stuff like that. But like we were talking Mm -hmm. the other day is like, yeah, like military time, 20. I don't know whatever you want to call it is like. I do think this is one of those things like we do have a solution. Much of the world has already uh, adopted it. It is like, yeah, yeah, 24 hour time would be the best. Cause then you kind of know, like hour one is the beginning and hour yeah. 23 is the end. I, and, I like, think, I think, know. I mean, that, that is the, that is the correct answer. However, this is yet, yet again, another data point of why I'm a liberal arts person and not a uh, engineering person. Cause, cause I feel like if we solve this problem, what would we have to talk about? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like the taxes, right? It's like we have the answer. No one really wants it. So we'll just keep, you know, we'll just keep doing it the hard yeah, way. Fine, yeah. you know, fine by us. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, po- poetry is just obfuscating for fun, right? Is like what you're doing with that. So and yet that's considered a, a, a fantastic art form. Anyways, uh, it's 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 the summer months. And I think, uh, you know, so there's going to be a lot of vacation going on, right? And here in the tech world, as we all are, uh, many of our listeners, I think, I think, one has to start considering what your your vacation taking ethics is and how you sort it out right now this used to be relatively easy uh in in the pre uh netflix culture deck days before that because what you had uh is you would just have a fixed amount of of uh vacation that you had and you know that was it you had this pool you could pull from like i think you know people joke but if if you're a young american you might have like two weeks of uh, um, self-choice driven vacation. This is not including the holidays that you're given. Right. And then if you're probably by the time you'd be our age, if you're more senior, you've got like, I don't know, you could take a month off, maybe kind of, right? Right, three to four weeks, depending on like how long you've been in the company, sure. Right, and and like if you take it in July, you get the fourth off, whatever. Like you you can sort things out. However, post Netflix culture deck, we, many people have this, this, uh, this infinite vacation thing, right? And if you don't have infinite vacation, then you have like squishy vacation where it's sort of like, you know, especially with the pandemic, it's like, do what you need to, right? Like, like take the time off, you know, do, do what's required. And so I think this is, I think this is maybe the first summer post pandemic where there's kind of sort of not an excuse for squishy, like taking a lot of time off, right? And so it's time to revisit how do you do the spreadsheet in your mind of how much vacation should I take off? If there is 
no set limit or if it's squishy. And I feel like, you know, you and I were talking about this a little bit before. I feel like this is an incredibly unsolved problem. And, <laughs> and, and just, just as a little bit of a spoiler, maybe we'll get to it, maybe we won't. I feel like what this does is it puts all of the responsibility and risk on the employee. And, and the employer ha- almost carries no risk. Like it's definitely good for them. And they don't kind of like shoulder any of the, um, the cognitive load, if you will, of, of, right. of dealing with this. And just wait, just to bring this home, I think there's this quote, there's this thing about Mark Zuckerberg basically talking about, you know, what's going on in his company. But like, I think we just send her in because I think it's a good example of like the cognitive workload that's on the employee. So like Zuckerberg was giving some all hands and he said, quote, realistically, there are probably a bunch of people at the company who shouldn't be there. Okay. So let's just like for a moment, let's just take it for what at face value. Okay. That's how Zuckerberg leading Facebook feels. So here we sit in July and it's vacation time, right? And it's like, at least here in the United States, you know, it's very popular. Some summer, I guess I would say Northern hemisphere, probably very popular in Europe and in North America to take vacations. And it's like, okay, so your you know, your leader has come out and said that not said it's you, I mean, he said it's a broad company. Right. And it's like, like, are you more likely or less likely to like w- take vacation in the summer? Right. Based on, on this kind of thing. And then two, like you, you know, you're kind of like stuck kind of doing some type of, and I think this is what everyone kind of figures out is like, if I take vacation, will there be a penalty? Like, right. Will right, there be right. some type of, you know, silent penalty because I took a vacation. I think most people say, well, most com- companies would say, of course not. Right. But then it's like, well, like if you take an afternoon off, no one in any co- very few companies are, are going to care. Certainly in the knowledge working community, community, it's just like yeah, whatever, right? Now if you take a week off, that's very. I think that's in North of, in United States, that's a very safe amount of time. I feel like people are like oh, you're gone for a week. I'd say in Europe, much more common to take two weeks off. Like people feel pretty good about that. But I think in the United States, if you're gone for two weeks, people are like oh, there'll just be a little bit of like. Oh, two weeks. Really? That must be great. And you yeah, know, exactly. Like, and Sounds you can great. It, yeah. You know, and like that, that last part is like, some people mean like, it's great. You left and had a great vacation. Other people meant it's like a little subtlety, especially if it's coming from someone in a executive or managerial role. Like, even if they're not like directly, you don't report to them. And there's just a little bit of a like, Oh, huh. Two weeks. And so you, so you kind of have this low level, like, maybe I shouldn't do that. Like maybe I, maybe 10 yeah. days, I should take the week and the, uh, the weekend and a Monday off. But like, if I go beyond that, and I think this is like a real dilemma because I think, and I think what gets underlying this is kind of back to the Zuckerberg quote. It's like, I have no idea what's going on on Facebook. So I should put that out there and just say, it's like, I, maybe he's right, but it's just like, how do you know? <laughs> like, if you're just hearing that, like, and you're sitting there and you're like, Am I, is he talking about me? Is he talking, is Zuckerberg speaking to me? Is he, am I, am I something, the kind of person he doesn't believe that should be here? And like, how would I know that? How could I discern that? I can just kind of do my own personal evaluation, but that can be very, you know, difficult, right? At different times to be like, you know, I think I'm doing a good job and you may be doing a great job, or you could be thinking you're doing a great job, but you're actually working on a project nobody cares about and you're doing a bad job, right? And it's like, Hmm. it's not always clear to you you know, and I know people would say, well, you got a performance review. It's like, well, performance review doesn't always answer those questions. It gives you like a very like small answer to a question about like this past year, you know, we think you did something good. It doesn't necessarily give you a real time snapshot. And then again, that co- all goes back into like 
should I take any vacation? So it does. I think to your point, it's like the cognitive load is really put back on the worker to figure out, to like try to compute all of these different things to figure out, can I go to the beach? Well, now, now, now let me, let me try to turn this, turn, turn this uh, to another angle here, which is, so I think one, I think what we, what the, the reason we obsess so much about like uh, what, what our, our, our thrilling uh, tech overlords say, like what comes out here is because I don't know if people use this phrase anymore, but often what they, they do is the younger ones, at least, is they say, what's, how does the phrase go? You said the, the, the quiet part out loud. Isn't there some phrase that's like, you know, that you said what was in your mind quietly, you weren't supposed to right. say that out loud. We, I'll have to right. look up what that phrase is. And I think this is an instance where I think probably many managers across industries have the same thoughts, right? Like they just, they just know not to say it. Right. Like basically, like it's a bad idea to go in front of I, let, let me let me just posit this. You should not go in front of your company and say, yeah, we don't really need some of you. And so we're going to like make your work hard so that you decide to leave. Enjoy the donuts. Right. <laughs> like like that, that's not really the best way to go about doing stuff. Because I mean, there's so much wrapped in it now. However, I think like you know when we when we look over these things that like weird tech bosses say, like it's good to say like okay, let us let let's use them as inspiration for how we should be thinking about the transaction occurring here, right? Because obviously they are having a very transactional relationship with me, a human resource, right? They're looking at me as like a dynamo, like just a, a part of the machine that is either producing or not producing and that, uh, you know, it, it, it gets, uh, it gets what it deserves or I get rid of it. And, uh, I can, I can pour more gas in it and it can make more, but if it's like inoperable, I'm just going to get rid of it. No gas. So you have that kind of transactional thing, right? So you are seen, uh, I think as sort of just like a producer as, as, you know, you're helping the company make money. Now, that's kind of a cynical way to put it. It's not like I'm walk, writing for Jacobin or whatever, but like, I mean, I think everyone would mostly agree with that's how a company works, especially in America, right? It would be like the goal of a company is to make as much money as possible with as little as possible, right? You want to maximize your profits. The way you maximize profits is you go to your customers, you get as much money as they're willing to pay for something, or I should to phrase it more nuanced, you get as much money as you can get from them right? Uh, so on the one end, your top line revenue, you want it to be as high as possible. You never go in and you never like, hey, uh, we're selling ads. And I would, you know, I could convince you to pay $50 for this ad. But listen, I kind of know this ad is only worth $5. So right. like, really, you only have to pay five, right? Like, I mean, literally, if you use an auction, the point of an auction is to find out who the last sucker is, that's going to pay more than the, the second person, right? So like, you know, so you're maximizing the take. Now, no one would say that's unethical, really. I mean, you get in a situation where like, you know, if there's a hurricane and someone like buys a bunch of ice and they go sell the ice for a huge markup, that seems unethical. But that's a whole, that has a good excuse to it, right? It's just, I mean, that's whatever. It's, it's, it's a bad idea to sell a life preserver to someone like, you know, who fell off the Titanic. Uh, so, uh, so you got that. The point of a corporation is to maximize profit. So how do you do that? You pay you pay as little as possible in time and money and risk for how you're producing that. That is employees, right? So that is the position of the company. I don't think anyone would ever say 
that that is unethical, right? Like they might have problems with it. You know, the more left leaning leaning you get, you would have problems. But if you sort of accept the corporate capitalist system, that's the whole point. Is like I want as much money as possible for as little effort. That's that's the game. That's what's at the core of it. Um, so some for some reason, like you shift to the employee's perspective, and that is not the rubric that you follow. The employee's job is not to figure out what is the least amount of work that I can do to get the most amount of money, right? Like, the, like we're very much so, at least in the, and I think, I think this is most of, of, of the Western world, where it's sort of brought up with these almost mm, sort of puritanical ethics. Maybe this is kind of a Northern European and an American thing where like you feel that like, uh, I should not take advantage of my employer, right? Like it is ethical for me to like put in the appropriate amount of work for the money that they're giving me, which again, <laughs> let me bring it back. That is not how companies work. A company right. would never be like, yeah, I sold them $50 worth of ads. So I feel like I should give them $50 worth of ads. I mean, okay, okay. I've got to like eat. So I'll give them $48 worth of ads, right? right? Cause really like, you know, I only need that $2 to buy me a sandwich today, right? But, and so, so like maybe this is like the thing that, that I think when you're thinking about vacations is, is you need to be inspired by the companies that you work for and figure out how to maximize your take uh, with the minimal amount of effort. Right, so it's a version of maximize shareholder value, but on a personal level. You're trying to maximize your own personal earnings um, just like a company would do, like you're you're trying to reduce your right. cost, and your cost is primarily time, right? The time. I, I mean, I mean, so if I could got, spend less time and make more money, I'm going to do that, right? I mean, so. listen, you've got you've got the kitchen table board. You're going to go have to go back to, and the kitchen table <laughs> right. board is is going to be like, I've looked through your balance sheet here, and it's bullshit. I'm going to yeah. fire you, right? Like, like we we are looking to maximize kitchen table board shareholder value, and that mm -hmm. is not occurring, right? Like the suppliers you're working with, otherwise known as your employer totally taking advantage of you. You need to like, let's look at the comps in the, uh, the peer group that we're in. These comps are very poor, right? Like you're, uh, we don't have enough vacation. You're not here enough. These comps are terrible. <laughs> I, I had, uh, I had the I bankers come in, do an analysis. You gotta, you gotta sort this out. You've got a year or we're uh -huh. basically going to take this private and that's uh, right. <laughs> and we're going to, we're going to build the valuation back up, spin it out. And I'm sorry, you're just going to be out. Right. Like done. we might have a, we might have a golden parachute. I don't really know. We have to look at the, the paperwork, but this performance this year is unacceptable. You, yeah. you need to go sort this out. I like it. I like all of it, but I do, you know, kind of bringing it back to this Zuckerberg line, you kind of said it like, I guess saying the quiet part out loud. I do think it's kind of fascinating because sometimes I like when this happens where it's like, I think if you polled most executives, I think a, a lot of them would, you know, if they knew they weren't going to be quoted, they would say, they would be like, yeah, Zuckerberg's right. There's a lot of people at the company that shouldn't be here. And I think that's just an interesting question to dive into. Like, why is like, why did make, maybe it's true. Like, why does that happen? Right. So I guess you could say like, why does the person in charge who does ultimately control the hiring process and who gets hired? Why do they ultimately, what goes wrong in their mind that a bunch of people end up there that shouldn't be there? Or two, it's just sort of like, is it just an, a classic mismatch ex expectations? Like the perspective of running a company and the way you're compensated and the way you think about it 
is just it's just human nature to look at it completely different than being like a rank and file employee at a company and that any of us who are put in that if we were to switch places if zuckerberg were to switch places with like a mid-level engineer at facebook and you know and then and that person being promoted would you know would they basically end in the same kind of feeling would they have the same kind of ideas like just based yeah, on the circumstance because yeah. that that to me seems to be like a fundamental question just around business like so many leaders ultimately feel this way either their expectations in the workforce are completely out of whack and that should be addressed or something else is going on there right something else is like you know that there's just a fundamental cultural problem that the CEO is unable to, they can't fix it. Right. Even though they've tried to put in this hiring process, they still can't figure out how to hire people. And it just leads to a lot of, in their quote unquote, um, you know, world that a lot of people shouldn't be working there. And I think, I don't know, like to me, it is maybe it feels very American too. It feels like an American problem. I think most American executives would, would be more likely to say this than say like European uh, executives. And, and, you know, I don't know, to me, it's, it's, it's a fascinating question because I do think like, I mean, I hear it more privately, like you kind of, you get like, if you can have conversations with CEOs or stuff like that, there is always this, like, people just don't care. They don't work hard enough here. And it's like, it's pretty common. I think it's, it's probably one of the more common things that you see in business today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it becomes a vicious cycle. Cause it's like, yeah, I mean, you, you just said why we don't care, right? Because we're, <laughs> we're, uh, we're disposable. So whatever, like, just, uh, <laughs> but it is, I don't know. And I do think, so hope, I wish somebody would just would do follow up. I don't even care. Like I'm not so interested in the Facebook side of it. Like why, you know, like what's going on there. They're doing bad or good, but like, it would be really interesting to like, cause I think Zuckerberg for all everything that we've read about him intellectually, at least academically, very intelligent. Right. So it's like, like, you know, just everything about this, that he like, to your point, did he just say it off the cuff because he can say it? Did he say it? Because, did he specifically think to himself, this is a way I'm going to motivate people and did he do it on purpose? And just, you know, just like having a, like a, a beer with him and like going into his mind, I think would be really, really telling. I, I hope someday someone does a podcast. We're always available yeah, at Zuckerberg yeah. wants to come on this podcast, but it'd be interesting yeah. to have someone like just probe into just that mindset. And I think, you know, the other one, uh, our friends over at uh, what Ben Horowitz, right? Uh, maybe he would be the one to do it because you know he's like a hard things, you know, hard thing about hard things kind of person. Like, what's his take on this? Like, it'd be interesting for him to be like, no, this is how you run a company really well. I'd be interested to hear like what he had to say on it too. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, to to close it out, the uh, the whatever the the uh, well, it's it's not an elephant in a room, but like like the 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 uh, the thing to unmask is like, well, who hired all those people? Yeah, right? like someone like someone was like basically misforecasted and mismanaged the finances of the company or, or was negligent. And like, if you're way over capacity, it's not like those employees came and hired themselves. Right. Like it was, it would be like, you know, your forecasting and everything was, uh, was off, which, you know, once you're finding who's responsible to blame, like everyone's lost, like that's no way to win a game. <laughs> Like it's, it's terrible, but it is. Well, like, I guess the final, but you know, in that quote is like a super interesting. It's like, realistically, there are probably a bunch of people in the company that want to be, that shouldn't be here. And it's like, well, he kind of implies that like, he knows who they are. So it's like, well, why don't you just offer the appropriate amount of severance? And, you know, I mean, it's not a good experience for everyone, but they, you can do it. You, you have the capacity to like move them all on. Like, why aren't, you know what I mean? It's like, why aren't you taking action to do it? Like, why are you quote, turning up the heat? 
Like, why don't you just yeah. do it? You know, it's like, I don't know. So it's a weird, I don't know. To me, like, this is where I always get to back to where it's like working in corporate America. It's psychologically, it can be very taxing sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think, I think the, the only point I'm trying to make here, Brandon, is take your vacation. Just uh... <laughs> everyone go to the beach or go do your own thing. <laughs> you, you should do that. Well, uh, speaking of having a vacation, sometimes going to a conference is like a working vacation, especially if it's related to the industry that you're in and what you're doing. So it is a nice way to have some time off while not dipping into your pool of infinite vacation days. And, uh, you know, also, hopefully you have more than a $20 per diem. I don't know what it would be now. $50 probably is like the bare minimum. But, uh, you know, if you're interested in figuring out some working vacations, there's a lot of conferences coming up. There's the, that conference it's at the end of this month. So it's pretty soon up there in the Wisconsin. Uh, you know, if you want to go there, probably a lovely time of year, there might be a, little, a few mosquitoes. I think maybe that's in the fall, uh, maybe not the summer. And then there's also DevOps days, LA where there's scale, uh, happening as well. July 29th, we have VMware Explorer coming up August 29th. And I realized that is back to back. I will be at DevOps days DFW, which is the week before that giving one of the keynotes, uh, which should be fun. There's also the Spring One platform, uh, which hopefully I'll be at, uh, which is going to be December 6th and 8th. And then there's uh, the call for papers for that conference, Texas, is open up. And that's going to be January 16th to 19th in 2023, Brandon. That will be a new year. <laughs> and someone asked me to come uh, speak at DevOps Day Charlotte. I need to figure out if I can do that or not, but that's also out there. I only went to that... Uh, event once but charlotte's a, a lovely little place there uh so do we have any bureaucracy this weekend brandon or this week? no sense of bureaucracy this weekend uh this week rather i just uh we want to remind everyone if you would like a sticker for uh you know what you should do not just for your laptop but you should actually maybe put it on your uh your your yeti tumbler you know for while you're enjoying your vacation or uh, maybe on your bike, we've had several on the bikes, or your cooler, I think that's another place. What you should do, and I'll send you as many as you want, you should just send me your postal address at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. In fact, somebody sent me um, one of the longest postal addresses. They even explained it to me in the email the other day. It was fantastic. It was super long, and it was some some one of the ones in the UK, but it had like a town, like, I don't even know, they had like a town, a county, there was like four or five different things uh, to get, get it there. So hopefully that one arrived. And I always learn uh, a lot about the postal systems when people write in. So send me uh, your postal address and I'll send you some stickers. Was it, was it like Benson Mill on Tam Surrey 1059 XJC? Like yeah, some, I mean, it did have like, well, that's always and, the and thing. That's not even the street name. The street name yeah. was somewhere else. It was like, it was like above Mixed Pub 95 Way Street. Yeah, it was it's something to that effect. And it's always weird to me when um, what I think of as a zip code is uh, it has numbers and letters in it. And you're like, I, I'm, I just still have a hard time. That's maybe kind of like your AM, PM. I'm like, wait a minute. Other countries are mixing letters and numbers in a postal mm. code. Can't have that. I think it's crazy. But uh, you should look look up some addresses in Jakarta and Singapore and blow your mind. <laughs> I, well, I probably couldn't even uh, comprehend it. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, uh, you, you know, there really are free stickers. I, I mean, I feel like, I feel like, uh, at some point, uh, your wife is going to be like, Brandon, we have this whole room in our house full of stickers. I want yeah. you to get rid of them so that we can start using. She has room. some, Hey, I put some on her, uh, tumblers and her, uh, fancy water bottles. So, you know, don't, doesn't have to just be for the tech people. You can also, uh, you know, make your loved ones, uh, you know, if you will market and that's how I sell it. See, no one 
else at the uh, the family pool is going to have this sticker. So you know this bottle is yours. That's how I That's tell true. people they should. Do you're, it. you're reminding me. I, I don't know if I said that when I was in Texas. You know, we went by a Bucky's and we got one of those uh, those off brand Yeti things. Mm-hmm. And we we my son he likes snakes, so we got the the yellow one that has the "Don't Tread on Me" snake on it. Right. Okay. And and well, now if we were living, this is what what I realized is great about it. If we were living in Texas, unfortunately, all the iconography of like. Texas rebellion and independence has been taken over by like the crazy right wing people. Right. So you definitely, Mm -hmm. as someone, someone in my, my philosophic position, you cannot own an item like that because it's a totem that's been appropriated by people, uh, you know, who, who I don't share views with. However, you bring it over to the Netherlands. No one knows what the fuck that is. So you just have like (laughs) a cool little tumbler uh, that, that, that you, you can use, which is, uh, which is fun there. So there, there's a life tip for you. If you want to use, some symbolism that at one point was sort of kind of not so bad, uh, but has become bad symbolism. Just uh, move to another country and uh, bring it with you and, and then you'll be cool. That, that'll that work out. Well, uh, speaking of being cool, what's your recommendation this week, Brandon? All right. Well, I just want to give uh, full credit here. So Christopher was the one that I recently sent. It was in the UK and this address had five different lines. And it turns out, I don't want to, you know, I won't talk about it too much because I don't want to reveal where he lives. But like originally, uh, one of the things in there is Inglewood. And what, when you think of Inglewood, Cote, what comes to mind? Does anything immediately jump to your mind? Snoop Dogg. Exactly. And I was like, <laughs> I read this when I first read it. I was like, this is so cool. Like we have listeners in Inglewood. But it turns out that's uh, someplace in the United Kingdom. And there was like five other things I had to put on there. So Christopher, I hope you got your, uh, and he actually even referenced, he's like, he said that, because uh, clearly he's been asked a lot about like, when you write Inglewood, that he gets asked a lot about this, that like, no, he's like, it doesn't have anything to do with uh, Long Beach. So I was like, <laughs> he, like he, he anticipated so many of my questions, of my questions in his original email. I was like, this is like really well thought out. So, so Christopher, hopefully uh, you got your stickers. Hopefully I sent them to the right address. Uh, for my recommendation this week, something kind of simple. I went uh, watched uh, Shining Girls on uh, the old Apple TV Plus. It's pretty good. You know, I think I'd give it like a B plus. A little, a uh, little mystery, a little, little bit of sci-fi. So if you're looking for something to watch on your summer vacation, something that's sort of just like kind of just fun, simple, check out Shining Girls. There you go. That, that's almost like that's a way to maximize uh, when you go back to the kitchen uh, table board and and you're making the case for your your annual performance review that you've maximized <laughs> profits. You can be like, not only that. We threw in watching Shining Girls, and uh, we all enjoyed that. So I think I think that was a great offsite that we had. Uh, you know, really boosted morale, and I and I think that yet again proves why I should be given a hundred fifty percent bonus this year instead of just a hundred percent per plan. Uh, so so that's good. Well, my recommendation we had we had some friends in town uh, uh, this week, and they were they were the first set of friends who like just totally bought into the idea of renting bikes on day one and biking everywhere. Most people don't do that. They were uh, uh, two adults and two kids. And uh, so I had to go pick up a bike. So we went to the neighborhood. There's a place here, uh, a little chain called, uh, we would call them black bikes. And they're called the the Hutzwortfietzplan. Sorry for the Dutch listeners. Uh, I pronounced that wrong very poorly but uh they've got places everywhere and uh if you want to rent bikes you should go there those people are pretty chill i mean i think i think it's one of these situations where like because it's a a chain like if you knew your corner bike shop person 
they would be cheaper and like blah 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 but you know like it's kind of like the target of bikes i think and uh you can go there and you can rent bikes the first place we went they didn't have a bike uh for for one of the kids they didn't have bikes small enough but we just went to another one and sure enough they had them and uh i think it was pretty affordable it was fine and and basically uh my friend rented them for two days and he kept them for three and a half and i was like do you need to go return he's like no they just said they charged me another day so see no fees and not only that you can return them at any location it's like this is this would be this is how you think renting cars would work uh oh, and also oh you don't have to fill it up with gas uh <laughs> like i think they might fill the tires for you uh if if you needed that so it's it's a good deal now funny story there we we went to one place and my friend rented a bike then we biked up to the next place uh to see if they they had a bike for the kid and he had left you know this being a first time uh amsterdam tourist on a bike he left his bike unlocked uh, in front of there. And so he came out after renting the bike and he's like, where's my bike? And I was like, I have never seen anyone steal a bike in plain sight like this. I mean, I don't think it's <laughs> stolen, but, and I didn't say it this way in my mind, I was like, this would be a pretty awesome life story if, uh, if that happened. But, uh, it turns out that, and this is, I feel like, and I mean this in a good way, this is a very, very, uh, responsible, maybe Dutch thing is one of the employees saw that there was a bike outside one of their bikes unlocked and they're like oh someone must return this bike so they just took it inside and processed it right <laughs> so they were they were being tidy and cleaning things up oh that makes sense yeah okay right and so and so i would have never thought of that but my friend did he's like what if they took it and so he went inside and yep sure enough and so it actually took some time to re-rent it but it, it was it was uh it was overall a pleasant experience so there you go if you're in the netherlands or and i don't know if they're all over the netherlands but definitely in amsterdam just go to the uh the, the zwart feets plane and feets and just go to Zwart Feets. That's what they call it. And uh, rent your bikes there. It'll be super nice. They're good bikes. Uh, good stuff. So with that, you know, if, uh, if, if you're biking around some town, making sure not to kill, get killed or killed anyone else on a bike as you navigate crazy traffic and things going on, you're listening to some podcasts thinking about how we're going to put together the, uh, the case for the, uh, the kitchen table board uh, here. Yeah, hopefully you've enjoyed this podcast. It's been Software Defined Talk. You can get the show notes for this episode at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 366. Uh, and, you know, if you are enjoying your vacation, maybe go back and download all the past episodes five times each and uh, just listen through them. You'll, you'll understand the history, the lore. You'll come up to speed on all sorts of things. You can also remind us of things that we talked about that we uh, count, contradict ourselves with over and over again, which, which would be fun. Uh, that'd be great. Uh, feel free to write a transcript, send those in, and uh, maybe we'll publish them. <laughs> With that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye bye. Can you say teleport? I don't know. Is that a... Can you say teleport? Here, here we. What sound does a duck make? Fair enough. That, that's as close as we're gonna get. You know. Right. So teleport, duck. You know, it's all the same. I'll, I'll be right back. All right. How are my levels? Did she mess with the uh, the gain knob? I think your levels are good. Hey, just let's say. Uh, does everyone watching the stream? Does it sound okay? Now that again, not before with the baby. Now without the baby, what sound does it sound reasonable? <sighs> She's got to learn to talk at some point. Then she can just be like, "Hey." <laughs> <laughs>